0: Christmas, you'll find Luke. We'll be looking at some scripture there in just a moment. It's important to remember, beloved, that the people in the Christmas story are more than just figurines in, in your nativity set and your Christmas decorations. They're more than just some fictional character that someone came up with. They were real, living, flesh and blood people. They laughed, they cried. They struggled. They experienced much of what you and I uh, experienced in life as human beings living on planet Earth. And this year, we're taking the extra effort to spend some extra time with the women of Christmas. And last week, we looked at maybe what some would consider an unlikely choice for such a series. And that is, we went back to the very beginning and looked at Eve. We looked at Eve. And today we're going to spend time with a lady that you probably already had figured out that she was going to be in the series. We're going to look at a lady by the name of Elizabeth. We find her story in the Gospel of Luke, and by now I hope you're there in the first chapter. It's interesting to note as we study Elizabeth today and look at her life that we spent earlier this year as a church family, we spent 10 Sundays studying the life of her son, uh, John the Baptist. And we spent a lot of time learning the lessons from John's life. Now, this morning we found a backup to back up get the story behind that story. So we're going to pick up that story in Luke chapter 1, and we'll be reading verses 5 through 25. Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 25, perhaps familiar words to you, to many. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias, of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. So it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense, when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the the hour of incense. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. He will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at His birth. For He will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from His mother's womb. And He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before Him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zachariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. But behold, you will be mute, and not able to speak until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. But when he came out, he could not speak to them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned to them and remained speechless. So it was, as soon as the days of his service were completed that he departed to his own house. Now after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and she hid herself five months, saying, Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Now I want to look at Elizabeth's life today from three perspectives. Three perspectives, and then at the end we'll, we'll draw some application. But first, three perspectives as we view Elizabeth. This morning. First of all, I want you to notice her strengths. Notice her strengths. In many ways, Elizabeth had a lot going for her in life. We know that she had a godly husband named Zacharias who served as a priest. In fact, the Bible tells us here that Elizabeth herself was actually from a priestly family. Their marriage was a godly marriage. Uh, they both were righteous people who loved God and served God. In fact, if you look at verse 6 again, it says they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. Now, they were not sinless, of course, but they were blameless. That is, they lived their lives in obedience to the Lord and to the commands of God. Really, when you think about um, Elizabeth, her husband, Zacharias, this priest, he got a, what was really a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. The lot fell upon him to go and burn incense in the temple at the altar of incense in that holy place of the temple. And and they tell me that his job would have been to go in and offer the incense, and then when he was complete in doing that, he would come out and he would pronounce a blessing upon the people who were there praying. Now, by all accounts, Elizabeth and Zacharias had a happy life together in so many ways. They had a lot going for them. I love the way Higgs described them when she wrote, we know this couple. We've seen them at church, exchange smiles in the parking lot, happily married people, busily serving the Lord, always doing good. I mean, these are the people. You would go to the temple area and you would see Elizabeth and Zacharias. You'd see this couple, as we would understand it, at church. So much good, but the interesting thing is after verse 6, we see a different perspective. We move from her struggles, or her strengths, to her struggles. Verse 7 kind of rolls in like a storm cloud on a beautiful day when we're out picnicking, enjoying the fellowship with one another. And here comes a storm rolling in. It's interesting, right after it says in the Scripture that they were, you know, godly people and blameless and obedient and so forth, verse 7 adds these words, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well-advanced in years. Really, when I read verse 7, I realized they had three strikes against them. Number one, strike one, they were childless. Strike two, she was barren. And strike three, they were both old. That is, they were past child years. You know, as hard as it is for any couple to struggle to conceive, it would be especially hard for this couple, uh, Zacharias and Elizabeth not only because of their time, not only because of the culture in which they lived, but also because they were in the priestly line. I mean, he served as a priest, and she was from a priestly family. And you have to understand, in that culture, in that time, in that society, in their world, if you will, barrenness was looked upon as disfavor from God. Disfavor from God. Perhaps even, some would even say, a judgment from God. Now, it seems that others could be quite cruel in their comments about Elizabeth and there maybe their statements about And We don't know exactly how much they endured from others, but did you catch Elizabeth's words in verse 25? In verse 25, she says, Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me, watch this, to take away my reproach among the people. I have to wonder as I think about their story, if, if when she would walk down the street, people would whisper, There goes Elizabeth. You know, she never could have children. I wonder what she did. I wonder why God never favored their home with children. And not only would Elizabeth be dealing with her own grief over not being able to have a child, she probably felt like she had failed as a wife as well. In that time and culture, she certainly would have thought of herself in regards to the fact that she could not give her husband, whom she loved greatly, a child, a son, or even a daughter we can safely assume, I think, that there was a great struggle in this godly woman named Elizabeth. She was never invited for a play date. She was never a part of the Mother's Morning Out program. She never received a Mother's Day gift. She never got to hear those precious words, at least up to this time, those precious, that precious word mama or mother. And it wasn't because of something that she had done. It wasn't because she was being disciplined by the Lord or the Lord was disfavoring her. No. And it wasn't because they hadn't prayed. Verse 13 is an interesting verse. There's some discussion as you study the passage about what prayer is being talked about here. Look at verse 13. But the angel said to him, remember now Zacharias is there in the holy place getting going to offer the incense. The angel appears on the right side of the altar. And it says there in verse 13, But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. And there's discussion among the scholars when he's talking about the prayer there at the altar he would be praying or some other prayer. Well, I, I believe what he's talking about, at least we can safely assume that they had prayed for a child. Look at what it says again in verse 13. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. And I think there's no doubt that uh, Elizabeth and Zacharias had spent many an hour in prayer, praying for a son, praying for a child, praying for a little one. And they prayed and prayed and prayed, and perhaps even for decades they prayed desiring a child, but it seems that it fell on deaf ears. But it didn't. Which brings us to our third perspective on Elizabeth's life. Not only her strengths and her struggles, but we notice thirdly her satisfaction. Under the most unusual circumstances, God announces not only Were they going to have a son? They weren't just going to have any son. They were going to have the forerunner of the Messiah. And they did. You're still there in Luke 1. Let's read some more Scripture together. Look at verse 39. Verse 39. We see Mary entering the picture now. This is Mary, the mother of our Lord. Verse 39. Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she, is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. Then drop down to verse 57. Verse 57, now Elizabeth's full time came for her to be delivered, and she brought forth a son When her neighbors and relatives heard how the Lord had shown great mercy to her, they rejoiced with her. So it was on the eighth day that they came to circumcise the child and they would have called him by the name of his father, Zacharias. His mother answered and said, No, he shall be called John. But they said to her, there's no one among your relatives who's called by this name. So they made signs to his father what he would have him called. Remember, um, Zacharias was struck mute. He couldn't speak. But some believe he may have also been deaf because it says they made signs to him. We're not sure. But they need to know what dad thought about this. Verse 63, and he asked for a writing tablet and wrote saying, his name is John. So they all marveled. Immediately his mouth was open, his tongue was loosed, and he spoke, praising God. Then fear came on all who dwelt around them, and all these sayings were discussed throughout all the hill country of Judea. And all those who heard them kept them in their hearts, saying, What kind of child will this be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. Now this is a remarkable story. It's a miraculous story. Uh, When you think about how John the Baptist came on the scene and and the circumstances behind it, but I think there are some lessons we can apply to our lives today. As I thought about this story, as I thought about Elizabeth and her husband Zacharias and all that they dealt with, I realized this story teaches us a lot about dealing with disappointment. Have you ever been disappointed? Have you ever faced disappointment? Sure you have. You know, when it comes to disappointment, some of it's more minor. Uh, you thought the steak that you ordered was going to be juicy and tender and just delectable, and it comes out it's tough as shoe leather. You're disappointed. You thought you worked really hard. You thought you'd make an A on that paper, and you end up with a B-minus. You hoped that they would draw your name for the prize and so you're waiting with eagerness they might draw out your name and they drew out that person you don't even like and you're disappointed. Some disappointment is minor. It's more minor. We deal with it. All of us do. You you hope the preacher will be done early and he's not. But then some disappointment in life is major. You thought your spouse would be faithful to their vows till death do your part and they weren't. You thought for sure that you were the one that's going to get that promotion or that dream job and you didn't. You you prayed and you begged the Lord that your loved would get better that they would be healed and they were not. Or like Elizabeth and Zacharias you thought that the babies would come easily and your home would be filled with the sound of laughter and tears and the joy of childhood, and yet they didn't come. I don't need to continue. I I know that in talking with a group this size that there's all sorts of disappointment that we face in life. All of us face minor disappointment, and we can deal pretty easily with that, but I'm talking about major disappointment. I'm talking about... (laughs) Disappointment that can even be life-altering and life-changing. How do you deal with the disappointments in life? Because we live in a sin-cursed, fallen world. So when the disappointment comes, how do we deal with it? When you look at the life of Elizabeth and Zacharias, I, I find here, among other things we could talk about, four things to do when disappointment comes. Four things to do when disappointment comes. Now, I'm talking to believers today. Let me just say right this moment, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, that's your greatest need. And I would encourage you, because the story we're reading about, the thing we're celebrating, the birth of Christ was all about the need that we have as sinners to be rescued. We sang about it earlier. And God became man, perfect God, perfect man, lived a sinless life, gave His life on the cross, and died for you and me. And He arose again. You'll give your life to Christ. He'll forgive you, save you, cleanse you. And I would encourage you, you've never received Christ. Come to Christ today. Now, some people think when you come to Christ, well, everything should go good then. But again, we learn a lesson here. Before we talk about the four things to do, we learn a lesson from Zacharias and Elizabeth's life, don't we? Because, I mean, you look at the description the Bible gave them. How many of us can take a Bible and point to where the Bible, the inspired Word of God says that we're holy, righteous, and blameless before God? And yet these two were. And yet they faced tremendous disappointment. But I find it very instructive and very helpful to see what they did in the midst of that disappointment. And I want you to jot these down if you want because you're going to need these. Because not only have you faced disappointment in the past, odds are that if you live for any amount of time, from this point forward, you're going to face disappointment again. And you need to know, what do I do when I face disappointment? As a believer, as a child of God, what do I do? Well, let me show you four things here from this passage. First of all, when you face disappointment, the first thing you need to do is you need to pray. You need to pray. You say, well, preacher, you always play the pray card. Yes, I do. It's vital that you pray. Pray about whatever the struggle is. Pray about whatever the disappointment is. Whatever your need is. Whatever your lack is. Whatever the desire. Tell the Lord about it. He already knows you're disappointed. And it's okay to go to the Lord and say, Lord, you know, I really thought this was going to happen. I really thought you were working this thing out. I really thought that he or she was the one. I really thought I was going to get that job. I really thought we're going to. I really thought this. And I'm disappointed. Lord, I don't understand. I'm struggling. And you go to him and you pray and you ask for his help. And you ask for strength. Whether it's a baby or a bill that needs to be paid, ask the Lord. Seek him as the Bible says ask, seek, and knock. That's what the Bible says ask, seek, and knock. Go to the Lord and pray. And I'm convinced when you read this story that Elizabeth and Zacharias prayed and prayed and prayed. And as he talks about there, your prayer's been heard. And you're going to have a son. And you're going to name him John. And he's not just going to be any boy. He's going to be the forerunner. The one who's going to prepare the way. The one who's going to go before the Messiah and turn many from death to life. So I want to encourage you, as you deal with the disappointment in life, because, you know, we have a tendency to respond in other ways. We have a tendency to respond in maybe even ungodly ways when we're disappointed. We may snort, we may pout, we may cuss, we may whatever when disappointment comes. But as a believer, living under the sovereign hand of God, your life is not an accident, your days are numbered, your days are ordered... There are good works prepared for you to do. When disappointment comes, the first thing you need to do, I'm convinced, is go and talk to the Lord about it. And tell Him. So the first thing you do is pray. Now you're ready for the second thing you need to do. We find it right here. You need to trust. You need to trust. Trust the Lord the whole time. Whether your prayer is quickly answered and God turns the tide or gives you whatever it is you desire, Or whether it seems like your prayer is not answered at all. You know, if you've been a Christian any amount of time, I hope that you've learned at least this lesson, that God's timing and your timing, they don't always think up. And God's timing doesn't always make sense to you and to me. But remember, God is never late. He's always right on time. I mean, sometimes when you're praying, sometimes right away God says yes. We love it when that happens. May we pray? Sometimes God has even prepared the answer before we've been asked. And so we bow and we pray. We have a need. And so maybe we'll give an example. You have a financial need. And you've got a bill and you, you cannot do anything about it. So you pray, Lord, you I need this money. I've got to pay this bill. And you go that afternoon. And your long-lost aunt Died and left you that amount of money, or whatever the circumstance may be. Right away, God has heard your prayer. And you know, He knew about it for you, even prayed it, and even arranged the details. You've got the money, you can pay the bill, and you're on cloud nine. Glory. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. He's heard me and answered me. Sometimes God says yes, right away. Now, sometimes God says no. Sometimes God says no. Why? Because He's a loving God. He's a loving Heavenly Father. I mean, if, if your child comes to you, it's Christmas time. Uh, do your children have any desires or wants at Christmas time? Have they made a list out, maybe left catalogs marked up, pointed your web browser to certain sites, left you messages on your phone, texted you, called you? Do they have desires? When you have a desire from your child, they want a gift. You want to bless your child, but but if your child were to ask, you know, let's say you have a five year old child and their real desire is they want a Husqvarna chainsaw this year for Christmas, <laughs> you're going to weigh that request out and say, okay, you're five. I think we're going to wait on that a little bit longer. Why? Because, you know, if you were to give them a Husqvarna chainsaw and maybe some nice, did they make chaps that's small? I don't know. And just say, have fun, Merry Christmas. <laughs> Disaster is going to strike. The answer is no. Can't have that. We see that, right? Paul prayed to a thorn in the flesh, prayed three times, right? I mean, I think they were desperate prayers. Lord, remove this. And God says what to Paul? No, don't even ask me about it again. My grace is sufficient. Sometimes God says no. Even Garth Brooks understands that, right? Sometimes God doesn't say yes and He doesn't say no. Sometimes God says grow. In other words, the request is good and what you're asking for is good, but you're not ready for that request. You need to grow some more. God knows that if you were to receive that thing you wanted right now, it would be detrimental to you, just like the chainsaw. Your five-year-old asks for a chainsaw, you say, no, you need to grow a little bit more, but maybe when they're a little bit older, and you say, well, you know, they're responsible, they've helped me, and, and so forth, and I think they're ready for that, then I can safely give them that gift. Because they've grown to the point where they're mature enough to handle that gift, and they're not going to injure themselves or harm themselves or hurt themselves. And the same is with our loving Heavenly Father. He will not give us that which is going to harm us or hurt us spiritually, but we grow into that. So sometimes God says yes right away. We love that. That's our favorite one. Sometimes God says no. You're not getting that request. I I know better, and you don't understand this, but the answer is no. And Sometimes you never get it. Why? Because God knows the answer that you need to hear is no, as hard as it is. Sometimes the answer is grow, That is, you need to mature more. But there's a fourth thing, and these aren't original with me, but there's a fourth way that God answers our prayers. And it's probably, I would even say, probably the least favorite of mine, maybe of yours. In fact, I think maybe this one's even harder at times than the no. And that is, you pray for something and you desire something from God, and God says, wait. Wait. He doesn't say yes right away. He doesn't say no. He says wait. Maybe you're spiritually where you need to be, but the timing is not right. And God's timing is always perfect. And so God says, wait. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't know many people in their right minds who love to wait. Does anybody here, when you go to a restaurant, you hope when you go to the host or hostess, you say, I need a table for five. You just hope they say, it'll be about 60 minutes. I mean, that's really what you're hoping for. No, we want to be there in 60 seconds. How many of you love going to the doctor and you love it when you get there and the waiting room is full of miserable people? (laughs) And you're way down the list. Or, Or the thing that equalizes all people of all financial standing... You go to the DMV, which I had to do earlier, and you get in that miserable line with everybody else and you stand there and you wait. We don't like to wait. But God sometimes says to us, wait. Because the timing is not right. And it's amazing what God does in those times of waiting. God grows us, God matures us, God gives us clarity, God gives us insight, God arranges circumstances, God arranges people, God changes people, God arranges doors to open and doors to close. And at the right time, when the request is right and you're right and the timing is right, at the right moment, God says, now, yes, after you've waited. Now think about Zacharias and Elizabeth. They've been praying perhaps perhaps for decades. We don't know how old they were, but it says they were old. They were past childbearing years. If God had answered their prayer 20 years earlier, then John more than likely would not have been the forerunner of the Lord Jesus. But here they are desperately crying out to God, wanting a child. But God had something even better in mind. That's what's amazing. Just know this, that when God says no to a request, God in His loving grace and mercy, He has something even better in mind. And so here, it wasn't that God was doing this to Elizabeth and Zacharias. Imagine now, God's hearing their prayers, and all the while they're struggling. But God, if I could say it this way respectfully, God is smiling, knowing, oh, if you only knew. If you only knew what I had planned. I I, I know it's hard. I know it's a struggle. But if you just knew, I've got something better. And at the right time, when it seemed that all hope was lost, three strikes, you're out. God says, no, 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 no. I have something better for you. You're not only going to have a son, you're going to have the forerunner of the Messiah. God heard their prayer, but He didn't answer right away. Why? Because He had a better plan. He had a special blessing for them. So what I'm trying to say to you is you need to trust the Lord. Trust His timing. As hard as it is to wait. Don't like to wait. But as hard as it is, know that God is perfect. His timing is perfect. His will is perfect. His Word is perfect. Just trust Him. If you can't trust Him, beloved... Well, that certainly shows a lack of faith. I know that this is good preaching, hard living. And you can't figure it out. But trust his heart. Know that he is a good God who has your best and mine, his glory and mine. Well, that's number two. You've been disappointed. Major disappointment comes in your life. Number one, pray. Tell the Lord all about it. Number two, trust. And then number three kind of builds upon that. Keep going in your faith. Keep going in your faith. Did you notice that in this passage, here you have Elizabeth and you have Zacharias, they're childless, but they're still serving God. They're still obeying God. Uh, They're still honoring God. You see, their faith was not dependent upon their circumstances. They didn't just obey and trust God and serve God and live for God when everything went their way. No, they served and obeyed God regardless of what happened or what didn't happen. So, so many, they want to treat God like a vending machine. God is not a vending machine. But many people want to do that. They had vending machines there at the Operation Christmas Child in, in Charlotte we were at the other night. And, and thankfully, they were cheap vending machines. You get A quarter, you got a, a beverage or water or whatever. But you know how a vending machine works, right? You walk up and... You put your quarter in and you push the button and you get what you want. And a lot of people want to treat God that way in their prayer. you know, God, I put my quarter in, I came to church and I said my prayers and I, I threw 20 bucks in the offering plate, and I'm pushing my button and I didn't get what I wanted. Now, I don't know if you're like this, but you ever watched it, maybe if you were honest, maybe you did it yourself. Maybe a lot more in the olden days when we had more vending machines. But you ever watch some people when they put their money in the vending machine and it doesn't work? And they push the little return button and nothing comes out?
1: Yes. <laughs> yeah. uh, and what happens
0: for a lot of people. This is really touching you, isn't it? <laughs> what happens to a lot of people? They put that money in there. It might have been the last money, had, the last 50 cents they had. They put that money in there and they push the button, nothing happens. They push the coin. nothing happens. And they get mad. And some people have been known, and don't anybody admit it here, some people have been known to shake a machine, to kick a machine. To kick a machine! <laughs> and others not only do that they vow I'll never use that machine again guess what a lot of people do they go to God and they beg God and they pray and God for whatever reason is perfect righteous holiness and wisdom and love does not give them immediately what they want they kick that machine and they vow I'm never doing that again. Well, I mean, we don't use God. We don't use God. God is not a vending machine. God's not a magic genie that you just rub the lamp just right. He pops out and grants your wish. He's the Lord of glory. And Christian, I want you to hear this and I want you to hear it plainly today. He always has His glory and your good in mind. Even when it doesn't seem like it. You can rest assured that if God has not fulfilled a desire that you have in your heart, it's because He has something better in mind for you. It might be your growth. He's drawing you closer to Him. He wants you to know Him better. It might be some greater blessing like it was with uh, Zacharias Elizabeth. I might give you a child quite yet, but you just wait. I'm going to really bless you. I want you to understand, you have to understand this. God loves you. He wants the very best for you, and you can trust Him. And in the midst of your disappointment, in the midst of your waiting, keep going in your faith. Keep going to church. Keep reading your Bible. Keep praying. Keep serving. Keep honoring. Don't allow bitterness to rob you of your fellowship with your Heavenly Father. How many I wonder today are not at church? You know why? Because they're disappointed. God didn't do something they thought that He should have. And just like that vending machine that said, I'll never use that again. That's the problem. You were trying to use God. We don't use God. Keep going in your faith. There's one more. We face disappointment. So we pray. We trust Him. Uh, We keep on going in our faith. We're not going to give up on the Lord. We're not going to give up on our faith. But there's a fourth one. You're going to like this one. Remember that nothing is impossible with God. Now in this same chapter, there are some words. We didn't read them yet. I want to go back and read them. It's the words that the angel Gabriel said to the Virgin Mary. And he's talking about Elizabeth. Elizabeth. Gabriel the angel is talking about Elizabeth to Mary. And I want you to see what he said about Elizabeth. This is awesome. Are you still there in Luke 1? Find verse 36 and 37. Luke 1, 36 and 37. Now indeed, Elizabeth your relative has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who is called barren. Now, I want you to notice, if you like to underline things in your Bible, verse 37 is worth underlining and marking or writing down. Notice what it says. For with God, nothing will be impossible. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Now, I'm going to ask you. I'm going to ask myself. Don't answer out loud. Do you really believe that? Do you really believe that? For with God, nothing will be impossible. I'm afraid that we still often limit God in our actions and in our thinking. We say things like, God could never save my husband. God could never change my family. God could never get us out of this mess. God could never open that door for me. God could never change that circumstance or that situation. And yet I find the Bible says with God, nothing is impossible. God could never... Well, wait a minute. God could never... I mean, is He God or is He not? This is the same God who created, who spoke the world into existence. You see what happens, beloved, is the problem and the struggle that you and I face in life, those major disappointments are like a mountain to us. I mean, they're just mountainous and it's just a rocky terrain and and we look and we can't see through it. We can't see around it. We can't get over it. We can't go under it. It's just this giant mountain in front of us that's just insurmountable. But God created the mountains. I will lift up my eyes into the hills from whence comes my help. My help comes from the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. Do you really believe this morning that your problem, your struggle, your disappointment, your desire, your need is so great and so insurmountable that even God himself could not meet it? You see, sometimes we have to speak truth to ourselves. We have to tell ourselves the truth. We lie to ourselves a lot. We need to come to the Word of God and see what God says about Himself and see what God says in His Word. And here we are! It seemed that that mountain was too high. This couple, Elizabeth and Zacharias, they're too old. They're not going to have a child. <laughs> Nothing is impossible with God. And so, right now, if you're facing one of those mountains, and you're really struggling, can I just encourage you to spend some time thinking about Elizabeth here? I want you to look at that baby that's cradled in her older arms. (laughs) I want you to listen as her mature voice. Now again, I don't know how old she was, but her mature voice, she's singing the songs of Jehovah to John the Baptist. Can I just encourage you to remember this today? In this season of miracles it's Christmas, that nothing is impossible with God. Would you bow with me? Father, I feel like the fellow who said, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. Lord, I know a lot of us seated here today, we, we look at the things we're dealing with and And we know that You're God and we know that You're good and we know that You're able. We're just wondering how in the world. But we need to trust You. We need to rest in You. We need to go on with You knowing that nothing is impossible with You. So, Lord, I just want to give a moment for Your Holy Spirit to speak to hearts today. I believe that in this room, There are many impossible situations that are coming to mind right now. Would you work and move and have your will and way in each one of those? And I want to give you just a few seconds there, friend, maybe talk to the Lord about whatever it is He's speaking to you about right now. I just have a moment for you and the Lord to converse. I'm going to give you a moment to do that. Jesus, thank you for doing the impossible for us. We, we could not overcome our sin and our need, but you did. Father, help us to take these lessons to heart. Help us to live out this truth, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our closing hymn this morning... 205, Away in a Manger. We'll just sing the first and the last. We do have a business session following the service today, but do know that Pastor Larry and myself, if we can help you in some matter spiritually, we'd we'll be delighted to do so. Please don't leave without uh, seeking us out. We'd love to help you if we can. We'll just sing the first and last of 205. Let's stand together and sing.